Welcome, everyone. I am Bob Wurzelbacher, Director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue, and finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This month, we're going to talk with past Respect Life Award winners in different areas of pro-life work, and this week, we're going to talk with our 2020 winner, Vivian Koob. Hello, Vivian, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. It's nice to be here with you today. Okay, Vivian, so currently you run an organization of about eight pregnancy care centers, a prenatal care office, an abstinence education organization, Marriage Works of Ohio, and you've also been the Respect Life Coordinator at your parish for 30-some years. For anybody who doesn't already know, tell us a little bit about the Elizabeth New Life Center and that organization that you run right now. Well, you did a pretty good job, Bob, because you mentioned all the various departments that we have here, but basically a pregnancy resource center is a center where women can come if they think they're pregnant and they're challenged by that pregnancy. So we have many, usually unwed young people coming into our centers. They can be older. However, we have no discrimination on age or anything like that. We offer pregnancy tests. Uh, If they have a positive pregnancy test, we do an ultrasound, a free ultrasound for them. We also have consultants who are trained to sort of walk them through their various options for this pregnancy. Of course, we're not promoting in any way abortion or anything like that. We do promote carry to term. We also uh, suggest adoption if that's an option for them. And we work with them over a long period of time. It's not just come in and you're done. We have a vast program of educational materials that we offer them, and we call it Earn While You Learn so that they can earn baby bucks. It's a token economy system. They can earn baby bucks that they can spend for things that they would need to take care of their child or any children that they already have. It's a pretty holistic uh, system that we have where we're trying to prevent pregnancies by being out in the school, teaching about healthy relationships and abstinence. And then we're helping women who find themselves in a pregnancy. We also offer full prenatal care in our Dayton location. So we're completely offering them that medical option and walking them all the way through delivery and postpartum. And then our Marriage Works Ohio program is really building healthy families so that when couples have issues in their relationship or their co-parenting, we have resources where we help them build a strong family unit. We want these children who are being born to uh, come into a a very positive home life. And so we're also building that on the other end of the birth process. I feel like I have to say this all the time, but there's that assumption or that myth that people who are, as would be referred to as pro-choice would accuse pro-lifers of only caring about the baby, only caring about whether that baby is born. And then after that, we're done and moving on to the next person. And your organization is just one example of how that is so not true. You're involved in the beginning of helping people make choices that avoid crisis pregnancies in the first place. But then if you're in a crisis pregnancy, you help them through that pregnancy, through the birth of the child, through you know raising that child and through further relationships down the road. I mean, from the beginning to the end. That's what we try and do because as Elizabeth's New Life Center has grown over the years, we've realized, oh my goodness, we need this 
program or we need this component or this is missing. How can we do more? And so we were always doing more. But I think the propaganda that is promoted by people who consider themselves anti-life or pro-abortion is just that. It's propaganda. It's uh, false statements that they make just to accuse us of something. Now, we have a very complex medical team. We have doctors, nurses, midwives, all sorts of medical professionals associated with us. They don't sling those arrows at us personally too much, but they do sling them at some of the smaller pregnancy centers who don't have quite as comprehensive a program as we do. So it's something to be concerned about if they come at you and if they attack you on some of these things. But normally it's not something we even think about because we know it's not true. So you talk about all these programs we have. Why don't you take us back in time? You have your own children, you have your own marriage, you have your own family, but then you saw this need and you decided to try to do something about it. So take us back to when this all started. Well, I've always been pro-life. My mother was always involved in right to life activities. So there's never been a question that I wasn't pro-life, but as a young adult, I wasn't that involved in the pro-life movement. Although I was volunteering at a pregnancy center in Springfield, Ohio, when I went to a seminar and heard uh, Dr. Jack Wilkie and his wife, Barbara, give a talk. And I was way in the back. Honestly, I was at the last seat on the last row. They were talking about the abortion issue. And of course, they were very good at that. They had a PowerPoint with pictures of aborted babies, comparing them to quarters and things. I mean, it was just horrific. It was eye-opening for me. But while I was sitting there listening to them, I felt a hand on my shoulder. I turned around, but I was in the last seat of the last row and there was nobody there. So in a little while, I felt that same hand on my shoulder, but this time I heard a voice and the voice said, this is the work I have called you to. And it was unmistakably the Holy Spirit. I couldn't hardly breathe. You know, I was so awestruck by hearing that and feeling that and knowing that it was the hand of God really calling me into the pro-life movement. After that, there was no turning back. I mean, I knew this is what I had to do. (laughs) So what was your state in life at that moment? I was newly engaged. I already had a child out of my first marriage and I was working full-time as a professional in rehabilitation work. I had like I said, been minimally involved in the in the pro-life movement. But because I was going into a new marriage, I had the freedom to quit my job and be a full-time stay-at-home mom. We adopted three biracial African-American handicapped children. We continued to have our own family grow. And so I had a pretty big full plate already, but we moved into an area that was where an abortion clinic was, not far from where I am now on North Main Street in Dayton. And my husband and I were doing sidewalk educating in front of this abortion clinic and actually in the back alley and trying to talk women into coming to our home, which was a few blocks away to have a pregnancy test and things like that. So there's no pregnancy care center at that moment close to that abortion center. So you're just going up there. And we had a few women who did that. I wouldn't do it, but They would jump in my van and I'd drive them to the house and (laughs) do a pregnancy test. So yeah, those were the very early days. And then we were able to start a center about six blocks away, but eventually the building right next door to that abortion clinic became available. So we bought it. We had to do it kind of clandestinely because if they knew we were going to start a pro-life center, they probably wouldn't have sold it to us. And we were able to establish Elizabeth's New Life Center right next door to that abortion clinic. 
And eventually that clinic did close. That was another miracle story, but we don't have time for it today. Then from there, we were able to expand. And every few years, we'd either merge with the center or open a center. We eventually got more sophisticated in all of that to uh, discern what areas had the highest abortion rates, the highest poverty rates, where would our centers be most effective in reaching at-risk women and having them come in and then make a choice for life. So Vivian, when you started, when you opened up this first pregnancy care center, who was running it? What kind of services were available in the beginning? Well, we affiliated with an existing pregnancy center that went out of business a few years later. And so we were really under their arm. We recruited people from our parish, which at that time was Corpus Christi Parish, We had this other pregnancy center come in and train us as to how to do this work. And then it was all volunteers. And I was a volunteer for the first 10 years of Elizabeth's Life Center. And most of the other people were volunteers until about five years after we started. And we then had a little bit of money to start paying our first employee. (laughs) Then you founded many different centers. Some of them you started to realize, find some more heavier abortion traffic areas. Mm -hmm you started to notice that you needed to do more than just right. pregnancy right. So what was the yeah. need? We had a physician step forward who wanted to partner with us and be a part of the ministry that we had. And that's Dr. Ann Mayle, who you've had on your program several yes. times, I think. And Dr. Ann was really our impetus for starting prenatal care. Her along with labor and delivery nurse, Jane, who both worked together at Franciscan at that time, which has since gone out of business. And it was because of the two of them that we were able to start prenatal care. So we started that in the year 2000, and that has continued on. Then we also got a grant in 1999, the year before that, to start doing abstinence education in the schools. And that program has grown and grown over the years. And sometimes the funding is more, sometimes the funding is less. We've tried to solicit donors to help with that. But most people want to donate to save the baby. They don't necessarily see the, the value in going into the schools and trying to prevent these young women and men right. from having sex in the first place. We've always been lucky to get those federal and state grants to run that program. I was going to ask you about the abstinence program. So is that in Catholic schools, in public schools, in both? It's in both, but it's primarily in public schools. The public schools have a mandate to provide this type of health education. And I suppose the Catholic schools do too, but they have more resources in their own staff to provide this type of education. And of course, Catholic schools are very much in favor of abstinence. They have this message, but we do go into quite a few Catholic schools because it's a supplement for the teachers who are already teaching it. And the kids love it. It's fun. We do activities, but the teachers love having us in because they don't have to teach that whole week when we're in there. (laughs) Did you, did you develop this program? Are you using someone else? We used other people's programs and then we refined them. And over the years, we developed our own. In the high school, we have a nine day program called Go for the Gold, which is ours. It's in its fifth edition now. The kids get a workbook and they work right along with the instructors. We call them presenters who come in. And then in the middle schools, we use somebody else's program called uh, Relationships Under Construction and Aspire, which are not ours, but we use them and they're very effective with those middle school kids. 
works. Then marriage works is another thing that you founded. What's tell us about that a little bit. From a similar perspective, we realized that we wanted these babies, as I mentioned earlier, to be in healthy families so that they could grow up with good value systems and with the nurturing they needed and the support that they needed to become whole and healthy human beings. And so once again, we were able to start this program with a grant from the state. And then we eventually tapped into a federal grant program for the next nine years, which was very substantial, helped us to branch out, do a whole lot with this program. We eventually lost that funding. And now Marriage Works Ohio is almost totally being funded privately from donors. We do get a little bit of state money through TANA funds, or we did the last biennium. It ended June 30th, so we're not sure yet whether we'll continue to get any funding from the state. What has it been like over the years, over the decades? You found this first sidewalk council, then you found a pregnancy center. Now that's this big organization, all beginning, if you will, from that moment you clearly felt the Lord touch your shoulder or the Holy <laughs> Spirit and tell you this is your work. What has that experience been like? What do you think when you look back at all of this? It's been very satisfying and very gratifying work to uh, work within this culture and to see the tremendous good that has taken place in people's lives. While I'm not in the consulting rooms anymore as an administrator of a pretty large organization, I don't have the privilege of doing that work anymore. So I have to rely on those who are meeting face-to-face with couples, for instance, in marriage education or marriage counseling or individual women who are making a choice for life and who have said such dramatic things like, you saved my life, you saved my baby's life. I don't know where I would have been if it wasn't for the Women's Center or Marriage Works or whatever it is. So lots and lots of positive feedback, but many challenges along the way. Finances are always a challenge and Sometimes the community spirit is wonderful and sometimes it's not so great. You know, you sometimes have people come against you. We've had people picket our centers, different things like that are a challenge. Sometimes the newspapers will print something that, of course, is not true, but they print it as if it is true. And so you have to go against that or whatever it is. So, you know, it's a challenge to, I think, in any nonprofit, any organization of any size, We have staffing issues sometimes, hard time filling our ultrasound positions these days. We want to have ultrasound available every day, every hour that we're open. And it just breaks our heart that we can't do that right now. But the devil comes into play in pro-life organizations and, oh my goodness, two steps forward, three back sometimes. But we persist and our staff is so faith-filled and they're so prayerful. And they just don't let anything stop them. I mean, they're very determined to continue. So it's it's rewarding. So, you know, I think of probably every single prophet. Moses was complaining you know, when God called him, was talking about having the stutter. Jeremiah, too young. Did you have feelings like that? Do you still have feelings like that? God, why me? Did you struggle with that? That we're saying, why are you calling me? I can't do this. So that others who feel like, well, I can't do anything. You know, you can. We all have gifts. <laughs> well, definitely. When I first started Elizabeth's New Life Center, I had a whole flock of children at home. And a lot of them had special needs. And I had all sorts of things to take care of. And I would say to God, 
just exactly that. Why me? And I used to tell people, I said, I think he asked a hundred other people and they all said no. And he finally got down to me and I was the dummy that said yes. You know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh my goodness. Do you have maybe a, a little more detail of a story of a quick story you want to share that might be inspiring, you know, for people to hear that were somehow you encountered that your organization was able to help? Last year, we started a program of providing scholarships for some of our women. And so I was in charge of doing the vetting for all of the applications for the scholarships. And then we had a committee to interview our final like five women. And then we videotaped their stories. And I'm telling you that experience was just mind blowing for me because every person we interviewed for those scholarships said things like, I wouldn't have Joey. Joey wouldn't be here. He's the joy of my life. And where would I be without him? He's brought cohesion to our family or whatever. And just story after story of women who were so grateful that they came to our center and somebody was there for them. One story in particular, a woman by the name of Eva And we have permission to use her name and her story. She lived in Cincinnati and she had an appointment at Planned Parenthood, but they couldn't see her for a week. She was going to have an abortion and she was calling around on a Friday night and found our women's center in Dayton that was open until five. But she called them at five minutes to five and she was in Cincinnati and they said, are you coming now? We'll wait on you. So they waited an hour for her to get here from Cincinnati. We had an ultrasound person on staff who was able to scan her and they met with her and so forth. And she chose life for her little one. She said, I I couldn't believe how kind they were. They stayed an hour later, actually more like two or three hours by the time they ministered to her and did all the services and everything. But to know that the staff cares that much, that they will make those kinds of personal sacrifices to serve the women that call us and come in. Right. Exactly. That's incredible. Speaking of incredible, right? You founded these organizations. You did work that probably so many people think, well, I'm not going to found a pregnancy care center. I don't have to, I can't do any of these things. But all this time, you were also the Respect Life Coordinator at your parish. What should we be doing on the parish level? What can we do as a Respect Life Coordinator, or even if we're not the Respect Life Coordinator, that can help the pro-life movement right where we are? There are many things we can do, even if we're not in a leadership position. For instance, at our parish, which is a fairly small parish, we do a series uh, four times a year called Living Pro-Life. And we invite a speaker in. We provide a meal after our last mass on Sunday. We just had one this past Sunday, and we had about 40 people attend. That person for this particular series, she was talking about all the things you can do as a pro-life person. So get involved in 40 days for life, pray at the abortion clinic, participate in life chain, help pregnancy centers. Pregnancy centers need volunteers in many capacities. Pregnancy centers need funding. There's also right to life organizations, which do advocacy and legislative work and sometimes direct ministry to clients. Like here in Dayton, we have Our Dayton Right to Life has a baby pantry and they provide clothing and so forth. There's many, many ways where you could volunteer for any of these pro-life organizations and get involved with them. So our Respect Life Committee 
We do letter writing to our legislators for particular bills. We support 40 Days for Life. We support Life Chain. We help other pro-life organizations when they have fundraisers or activities by supporting them, going to their banquets and things of that nature. So there's so many ways that you can do something. And of course, prayer. Prayer is so foundational. We have a a list of people every month that we send out a list to of prayer concerns and we call them our prayer warriors. And I think that list is up to about 300 or something along there. And so we gather prayers from all the people that work here and we put them all together and we send them to our prayer warriors. Well, if you'd be willing to pray through a list like that, pray for somebody who's been in an accident, pray for somebody who's considering abortion, pray for somebody who's struggling financially, whatever it is. So that foundation of prayer support is critical. So if you can't do anything else, you can pray. And I shouldn't say it that way because prayer really should be at the very top of what we can do, not at the bottom. If we can't do anything else, we can pray. No, pray first and then other things, you know, follow from that. And of course, Rihanna, that's exactly right. Pray first. And then it may be that you gather some people together to pray. And then it was it's through that that you yourself will feel the calling that the Holy Spirit has for you, for what you need to do next. There were so many things that you have done over the decades, um, <laughs> founding those centers and those organizations, the various work you've done on the coordinator level. Any other story maybe you want to share, maybe on the side of something you've done as a Respect Life Coordinator at your parish, right, that maybe wasn't too hard but boy, did it pay off. Or maybe if there's somebody who was like, wow, there's nothing happening in my parish. I really wish my pastor would do something. You know, somebody in that kind of a space, how can we encourage them to, well, start by doing this, right? It's a simple thing, but it could really pay off. Well, I think your office, Bob, helps people start Respect Life Committees if they don't have one in their parish. This is absolutely true. (laughs) Yes. And I know we would be more than happy as well as members of Respect Life Committee in our parish. We have a team of about eight now who work with me in terms of doing all of the things we're doing. And we would certainly be happy to help any uh, parish within the Dayton area start a Respect Life Committee. Pastors, of course, have to give their blessing, but I would think that it would be a strange pastor who would be reluctant to say, oh, yes, you can do something pro-life in my parish, you know. So I think what pastors probably struggle with more than anything is that no one's coming forth to offer. And of course, their plates are so full and they often have multiple, multiple parishes. And so they don't themselves have the time. But I approached my finance committee a couple of years ago and I said, look, we'd like to do this series of inviting speakers in, but we want to provide food and we want to provide a little honorarium for our speakers too. So I need some money. Can you give me some money in the budget? And so they did. They gave us $1,000 the first two years. And this year they're giving us $1,500 because everybody has seen the benefit of having these speakers in. And it has energized the parish in new ways, got more people excited about the pro-life work and and more people knowing what's going on in their own communities than we ever had before. You start small, you do what you can, praying together, doing a pro-life rosary. Uh, We were able to put the prayer from Father Frank Pavone in the front of all of our missiles. And so every time we have rosary, we end with the pro-life prayer. And part of that pro-life prayer says, I will be involved in doing something in the pro-life movement. So the fact that people are now praying that prayer, it it gets in their head every time they pray it. 
well, what am I doing in the pro-life movement? There's just so many ways that people can be involved. For those listeners wondering, we do have something called the Office for Respect Life Ministries Respect Life Coordinator Handbook, and you can request that from our office and we can also meet with you, you know, right, sit down right there in person with you and a few other people you want to gather and we can help you, like Vivian was saying, form your own team if you're if that's what you're trying to do with your parish and get you started with some ideas on how mm-hmm. to do that. Vivian, anything okay. else you wanted to share with our listeners about the work that you've done at the Elizabeth New Life Center or, or at your parish? I just wanted to put a plug in for adoption as well. My husband and I started out as foster parents working for Catholic Social Services, and then we moved into adoptive parents. We adopted a, a sibling group of three 35 years ago, maybe now. And it has been a hardship, but a blessing at the same time. There are so many children that are in foster care, waiting and praying and hoping that they will get a forever family. And, you know, these kids aren't always perfect. They've had tough times in their past. They may have been like our children. Their mother was an alcoholic and a drug addict. So they have what's known as fetal alcohol syndrome. So they'll never be what you call normal. But their basic human rights, their basic human needs need to be met by a family. Foster care is wonderful, but foster care is temporary. And so many of these kids, they get so discouraged because people are not wanting to adopt them. And I know, Bob, you have adopted children, and so I know you know the value um, of a forever family for these kids. So that's another thing I would just plead with people to consider is open your hearts, open your homes, and see if the Lord is inviting you to have another child or more in your home that can be your children forever. And we have, oh golly, nine grandchildren from these children that we've adopted. So, you know, and two great grandchildren now. So there's blessings all through the generations from adoption. Thank you so much for that as well. That's true. There are so many, there are so many children in the foster care system, especially that really need forever homes. There are many more children than there are families willing to adopt them. So that is that is something you can take to prayer and that is something that you can consider that would be a great gift to so many children and to your own family mm-hmm. as well. Comes yeah. with challenges, but there are so many blessings that come from it at the same time. Well, thank you so much, Vivian, for taking time with us today and sharing your story about the founding of Elizabeth New Life Center, about the other organizations related to that, and then the great work you've also done as a Respect Life Coordinator at your parish. So thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you, Bob. It's been delightful. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in in this episode of the Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website to view more resources talked about in this episode at www.catholicaoc.org slash beingprolife. Thank you again for joining us today. I look forward to being with you next time.